0: Tēnā koea, nō mai, mai, my name is Will Appleby and welcome to Animal Matters. Today on the show I'm chatting with Aisha Akhtar, who is the President and CEO of the US-based Centre for Contemporary Sciences. Aisha has had an illustrious career in public health and is now putting her expertise towards ending animal testing and advocating for a transition to human-specific medical research. Having formerly worked for the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, she has a unique perspective on animal testing, and the current policy settings in the US, which impacts the entire world. I'll let her speak for herself though, so without further ado, here is my corridor with Aisha Akhtar from the Centre for Contemporary Sciences. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, I'm really looking forward to discussing with you this topic.
1: Thank you so much, Will, for having me.
0: Uh, so just to begin with, what what's your background and what led you to the work that you're, you're currently doing?
1: Sure. So um, my professional background is that I'm a neurologist and a public health specialist. I've um, worked in governmental agency for a long part of my career. I was at the Food and Drug Administration, which is the U.S., agency that regulates drug um, development and vaccine development. So I was there for 10 years. Then I moved on to be the deputy director of the US Army's traumatic brain injury program. And I was a commander in the public health services. Uh, It's one of our uniform services. We're we're sort of like the public health arm of the military. We're not technically military, but think of it that way, where we go out for public health emergencies. And then um, just last year, I moved on to help launch this new organization. It's a nonprofit organization, the Center for Contemporary Sciences. So um, I can talk about that a little bit more in a little bit, but that's sort of me professionally. That's been my day job. And I I like to say by night, I've uh, often been an an animal advocate. So I've um, for years, I've cared deeply about the suffering of animals, the welfare of animals. And have worked on many different areas to try to improve how we treat animals. Um, so I, I've been using my medical uh, skills um, to really showcase how how um, the better we treat animals, the more respectful we are of animals, the more it actually benefits our, our uh, us. It, the more it benefits human well being and human health. So, um, you know, I've been showing that in regards to the pandemic and how the pandemic started from exploitation of animals to factory farming and the risk of infectious diseases and to medical research using animals and experimentation.
0: You mentioned this, the, this new organisation that, um, that, you're, that you're currently heading, the Centre for Contemporary Sciences. Um, could you explain for us what your, what your mission is um, at the center?
1: Yeah. So our mission is to replace all animal experimentation in 30 years and not just replace it with alternatives, but replace it with methods that are based on human biology. So methods that have the potential to be far more effective for uh, understanding human diseases and finding the treatments that we need. So it, it's in a sense, it's, it's a win-win for both humans and animals. We do know that animal testing is very limited in its ability to translate to human benefit. In the United States, and I assume this is pretty pretty accurate elsewhere, about 90 to 95% of drugs and vaccines that pass animal testing end up failing in human trials. And most of them fail because they're found to be ineffective or, I'm sorry, ineffective or unsafe in animals. So there's a 90 to 95% failure rate just in vaccine and drug development. And that doesn't deal with all the other types of animal experimentation that's just done for, not even for drug and vaccine. They're done for curiosity-driven experiments, basic biomedical research, and so on. So our approach is really to drive innovation and help catalyze this change towards research methods that are based on human biology, as opposed to studying mice and rats and dogs and cats and monkeys in the lab, you know, we we need to get back to studying human biology. And so our motto is, the biomedical sciences needs to start and end with with human biology.
0: That that ninety four to ninety five percent figure is staggering, and I I want to dive into that in a in a moment. But the the types of Research that are currently occurring that includes animal testing. You've mentioned drugs and vaccines. Uh, what What are the sorts of ways that animals are used for, for testing and in laboratories and 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 for research in general?
1: Yeah, so I can I can speak to the U.S. I, I don't know, um, you know, where you are, what the the numbers are, but in the U.S. And again, I would probably think that the numbers here are kind of, at least the the percentages are kind of consistent elsewhere. But um, unlike what most people think, most animals in experimentation are not used for drug development and vaccine development. They're actually used in the category of basic biomedical research. So most animals are used at academic institutions, they receive governmental funding, they do all kinds of different experiments on animals. They can be um, psychological experiments, harmful psychological experiments like maternal deprivation, shock experiments, things like that. I mean, there was a, a study that uh, a, a university that was getting millions of dollars, our tax dollars, to catch songbirds from the wild, take them into the lab. Scramble a part of their brains and then see how it affects their ability to, to sing. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, the researchers justify this as, you know, we have a better understanding of ne- neurological components and maybe it could lead to a cure to Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and, you know, the litany of everything, which of course it didn't. And of course it doesn't. Um, so it, it could be biomedical research just to understand basic mechanisms like that or truly, you know, just curiosity, behavioral experiments, things like that. I mean, there is no limit in the US, there is no limit place on what can be done to animals in the name of research, no matter how much suffering it causes.
0: The rates is, or the success that drugs and medicines have following animal testing, you mentioned that 94, 95% of drugs and medicines that go through animal testing aren't approved for for human use. Eventually, with numbers so high, why why do they continue with the the policy of animal testing? Like um, from a almost a pragmatic point of view, you know, most re- I think reasonable people would go well. If ninety four to ninety five percent of these drugs and medicines aren't being approved for human use, then obviously animal testing isn't working. Why do you think that it's still continuing and why it's still, you know, a policy that um, animal trials still have to occur?
1: I know it's it's quite staggering, right? I mean, you know, think of what other industry in the world accepts that kind of failure rate. I mean, you know, imagine if you were to hop in a plane and the pilot said, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we have about a 5% chance of landing safely at our destination we'd all jump off and demand, you know, a complete overhaul of the entire airline industry. But for some reason, it's been accepted when it comes to the drugs and vaccines that so many of us, so many people are desperately waiting for, for the illnesses that they have. Um, There are a couple of reasons why I think that has continued, um, despite this high failure rate. One is that there is an entrenched Um, system that supports the use of animal experimentation, no matter what. There are lobbying efforts. There's a a lot of, um, lobbying, um, a, a lot of lobbying power on the part of those who want to continue animal testing. And so what they, what they argue, their, their argument is that this high failure rate has nothing to do with animal testing, or they argue that this high failure rate does exist, but animal testing can be improved, we can keep improving it, we just need to, you know, we don't want to throw out animal testing, we just want to keep improving it and finding the best way to do it. But they've been doing that for decades, and it hasn't worked. Um, And, you know, short of turning a rat into a human, it's, you know, you can't, you, you know, there's going to be severe limitations in your ability to translate from a rat to a human. So um, that's one reason. Another is, and this is from my own experience working at the Food and Drug Administration, there's governmental bureaucracy. I mean, my God, you can talk about how slow things are to change. Internally, there were discussions when I was at the Food and Drug Administration about how we know animal testing isn't always very reliable, isn't always very predictive, but then they're so reluctant to make any change. And I think part of it is that So many of the regulators and the researchers have built their careers and are knowledgeable about animal testing, but they're less knowledgeable about other methods that can replace animal testing and could be far more effective. So because of that, they're comfortable with animal testing. It's what they know. It's what they've done. It's what they've been reviewing for decades. And so there's a, you know, it's almost out of habit that they continue to ask for it.
0: What are the other sorts of methods that could be available or, or are in development um, that could replace animal testing?
1: Yeah. So there's um, some, one of the best new techniques that's been garnering a lot of enthusiasm is called chip techniques or human organs on a chip or the human body on a chip. Basically this is a technology in which you distill a human organ onto a into its micro components you distill it onto a microchip um so it recreates the structure and function of an actual human organ a a full human organ to a large degree and um the human body in a chip is where you have multiple human organs the lung the kidneys you know liver um 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 the brain there's a mini brain on a chip, the heart, and so on, and you connect them, and you create a human body on a chip and you can really get down to the nitty gritty and re- look at the subtle nuances of molecular biology and how diseases manifest and how uh, treatments may work or if there are uh, potential side effects and safety issues with treatments now this is just one type, and this is um, you know this is um there are other types of methods, there are 3D printing of human organs or, or called mini human organs, organoids in, that are being um, grown in the lab now to study human diseases. The, the thing I wanna make clear is that, um, you know, no one of these testing methods is perfect and they, they continue to need refinement and improve it without a doubt. And no one testing method is gonna give us all the answers we need. It's going to take a combination of many different methods. But the, the potential benefit of these methods, again, is that they're based on human biology. These are human cells. These are human tissues. And we are, we know now without a doubt that, you know, the, the, the biology of a rat, of a dog, of a cat, of a monkey does not, um, does not effectively replicate or, um, even predict the biology in humans. And so that's why there's such great potential in these methods. And the human organs on a chip, I don't think we had even heard of it 20 years ago. Uh, No one ever even thought of that. So who knows what new great breakthrough there is. But the problem is is that governmental funding um, largely prioritizes animal testing versus prioritizing funding into the development and the use of these other testing methods. And unless government is willing to put their money into these new testing methods to continue to improve them and to continue to foster innovation, we're ne- we're never going to get to the point that we need to get to fully replace animal testing and protect our health.
0: What will it take to, to completely transition to animal testing? Um, obviously, there's a an entrenched view especially at the food and drug administration but more even more broader than that you've mentioned some of the alternatives um like organs on a chip um are some of these things ready to be used in labs now or is there still some development that needs to be needs to occur
1: no they they can definitely be used now without a doubt the problem is is they're not being used to their fullest by any means and Part of that is because of the lack of training and education on the part of scientists and researchers into how to use these techniques. There um, is a, is um, a there has been a, as I said, a lack of governmental funding, which the funding into these techniques also can in- include training and training of their scientists or researchers in these new techniques. So they're, they're ready to be used, they are being used, but they can be improved upon. Like any any method, they they can continue to be improved upon, and they will if we put our money there.
0: So really, I guess it's a, a matter of uh, of funding and that I guess perhaps courage as well to you know embark on these sorts of trials and instead of using animal testing methods. Is there a role for policymakers here? Like, does there need to be? a change in policy and regulation or even in in legislation to really make this happen?
1: Yeah, so um, in in the US, definitely. Again, I don't know exactly how things work there in New Zealand. I don't know if the regulatory agencies require animal testing for new drugs and vaccines like they do in the US. But in the US, with very, very rare exception, the Food and Drug Administration requires any new drug or vaccine To be tested on at least two different species before they can proceed to clinical trials. And despite the ridiculous high failure rate, despite the fact that animal tests are not predictive of human results, but that requirement is still there. So there is a need for policy change. And actually, there is a a bill that was introduced recently here in the US to change the language in a sense, FDA's language. So right now FDA, you know, so if you look at medical research, you have preclinical research, which means in this case before human research and then clinical research, which means human research. So at the preclinical stage that includes animal testing. So the bill is trying to change the language to just a small degree to change animal testing to non-clinical research, meaning that it's trying to open the doors for FDA to um, consider the best research method possible when they ask for um, uh, the, the when they ask for the applications from drug and vaccine developers. So basically, it's saying that they don't have to. You don't have to just focus on animal testing. There are other methods, and this gives you a way to ask for other methods in place of animal testing. It's a small change in language, but it could have a profound impact, at least in getting the FDA to start considering other methods as uh, instead of animal testing.
0: To play devil's advocate a little bit, um, obviously we're having, you know, vaccines being rolled out across the world at the moment to, for the COVID-19 pandemic. What would you say to people who might be concerned about um, removing animals from the lab, who um, are then being expected to to take drugs and medicine? What would you say to, to, to those people who might have anxieties around moving away from the so-called, you know, tried and trusted, even though yeah, we both know it's ineffective, but you know, people have a perception of animal testing and, and think it works. Um, what would you say say to those?
1: So because animal testing was used in the process, does not mean that animal testing was necessary in the process. And yeah, they are using the process. That's because that's a default. That's what um, the, you know, the biomedical research institution knows to do and, and continues to do. But um, on average, each in the US, it takes about 17 years for a vaccine to be developed and to be approved. 17 years. That's the fastest vaccine approval rate ever in the U.S. Was took four years. So what we see now with the pandemic is definitely unprecedented. We've never seen a vaccine approved in a year or less than a year ever. Um, so this is new. But in large part, this happened because there was a global effort to develop vaccines. I mean, huge amounts of resources went into this, right? That doesn't happen on a regular basis. And so there was a huge amount of resources. And initially when um, vaccine developers were trying to create the, the the vaccine, they were trying to find animals that um, could recreate, could first of all, get the coronavirus and then could show the same symptoms, the same disease that humans get. Well, there's no animal that that got that. They couldn't find, there's no animal that got that. Monkeys and mice, um, mice had to be genetically engineered for them to be able to contract the virus. And even then, they didn't display the disease in the way that humans have. And same with monkeys. Monkeys did not display the disease in the same way that humans have. So this search actually delayed the development of vaccine testing for a while. So um, what we do know is that because there was such a need to rush and get, Um, vaccines out, a lot of animal testing was um, that normally would have been done was either not done or was done in at the same time as the human trials. And so that really begs the question, if they're being done, when you're already at the human testing stage, why are you doing the animal testing? Because the gold standard is human. You know, so we have the gold standard, why are you still doing animal testing? And they were doing it just because it's the regulatory agencies out of habit cannot let go. They just can't let go of requiring animal testing. Not yet. And so um, so that really suggests that animal testing is not necessary. And that what we also know is that a lot of vaccine developers were using much more of these other techniques like what I, I suggested um, and we talked about earlier because they are faster, they're easier to use, and they can be... Um, Uh, much more effective in predicting outcomes. So I think what I would say to people is, yes, animals were used in the vaccine development. It doesn't mean that they they were proven safe or effective only because of animal use, not at all. We had no idea if they were gonna be safe and effective in humans until they were tried in humans. So what we need are better testing methods before we get to humans. We need methods that are based on human biology. And so the more we move in that direction, the more we can see other vaccines coming out at a faster timeline—not <laughs> 17 years—we don't have to wait 17 years for vaccines to be developed. We can see more drugs coming out at a faster uh, pace, and most of the disease for most of the diseases out there, there's no effective and um, proven. Uh, uh, there's no effective treatment whatsoever for most of the human illnesses that exist. So. We desperately need drugs and vaccines. It's not happening with the current system. We need to change the system.
0: Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast was brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation, and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, mate wa.